0: Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. This morning we are um, in our second part of our series that we started last week that's called Life Doesn't Have to be Scary. Now, it's kind of a a play on words, you could say. And really what we want to do is kind of give us an understanding that life really does not have to be scary if we are in Christ. Because a lot of times we can look at all that's going on in the world. We see, you know, wars going on. We see, um, you know, uh, um, sicknesses or pandemics or disasters or economic uncertainties, all those things. You know, we only have our own certain things too as personal finances or sicknesses or things like that are going on. And it would be really silly for us to deny that they exist because they do exist. But despite all of that, our lives do not have to be scary because of what we talked about last week. Our first, our first week, last week, we talked about how God loves us. He has reconciled us to himself. He has restored our relationship with him so that we are in him. And he's given us these promises, right? He's given us um, the promise of his presence, his protection, his provision in every circumstance and in every season of our life. No matter what it looks like, you may be on the highest mountain or you may be in the lowest valley, God promises protection, He promises his, his presence, and He promises His provision. He promises all of that. And one of the reasons why, and what we hit on last week was because He tells us that He has overcome the world. And we learned a little bit about it last week, the fact that, you know what? when He says, "I've overcome the world," that means he keeps on overcoming. It's not just a one-time thing. When Jesus said that, he was with his disciples. He was with them and said, hey, I have overcome the world. Well, hey, great. But the premise of it is, is that he keeps on overcoming. He will always keep on overcoming. He's in this position to overcome whatever it is that his people encounter in this world. This is what he says in John 16, which is kind of our our theme verse uh, for this whole series. And this is in the Amplified version. It says this, I have told you these things. This is Jesus talking. So that in me, you may have perfect peace. In the world, you have tribulation and distress and suffering. But be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. That's like forever, right? And so, since he is continuously overcoming... That makes you and I, because we're in him, overcomers as well. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are an overcomer. Okay? And this is what Paul said. Paul kind of reassures that. We covered this last week. In Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit says this. He says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Wow. So he's saying, you know what? We are more than conquerors because we are in Christ. We are in him. And when we're overwhelming conquerors, we're paramount victors, we're, um, we are enormous overcomers. And really, uh, what we said last week, you are a force to be reckoned with in this world. You really are. Because who backs you? Not you. Not, not, not your parents. Not anybody. Who backs you? Jesus does. And Jesus said, hey, I have overcome the world, guys. So therefore, if I've overcome the world, guess what? You are now more than conquerors. You are now more than enough to overcome things that are happening in your world. Now, that doesn't take away the fact that there are still tribulations. There are still things that we are having to to face in our lives. But you know what? We can walk into it confidently knowing that I am in him. Therefore, no matter what it is that I'm encountering, I am still More than a conqueror, I am still a force to be reckoned with. I have this overcoming um, um, force within me because of who Christ is in me. And that is in every season and in every circumstance. I don't know what season you're in. I don't know what circumstances you have going on in your lives. Um, Some of you, maybe I do, but not all of you. But see, here's the thing. You are an overcomer, right? You might not feel that way. You might not think, well, no, Pastor Scott, I'm not really that great. I'm not that much of an overcomer. But you are. You are an overcomer. And as an overcomer, then you can have peace. You can be of good cheer even when life seems a little bit scary. Because it will. Life will seem scary. There will be times when you have opportunities to be scared of what this life brings to you. The, 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 the day that... Um, I had my small heart attack. And they came and said, you know what? We have to do a triple bypass. And man, I was like the youngest guy on the whole ward. That was life could be scary moment for me. I was like, oh my gosh. This this is, wow, this is a big deal. But you know what? I had such a peace about me because of who Christ is in my life, knowing that, you know what? Okay, bring it on. Whatever we got to do, let's go do it. But I can't, I can't grasp. I, I, and maybe, maybe it's part of the, the sensitivity that the Lord um, has kind of showed me. But man, you know, I just can't grasp when people have to walk through things like that and they don't have Jesus. That makes life so stinking scary. Because it's like, what if I don't come through this? What if, I, if it, this, this doesn't continue to, to be good? But see, knowing that we are in Christ, we have to understand that we, since we have this relationship with him and that we are in him, man, things don't have to be scary. What we have to do is um, we have to just surrender to him, turn it over to him, right? Because we're we're in covenant relationship with him. And the great thing about it too is God has systems, right? And times like this to override the world. He really does. And the system, you find find it in this. You find it in the Word of God. You find it when when God speaks. When you open up the Word of God, He he gives you this this idea and this, this thought. Hey, I can overcome the world if I rest in Him. So yes, we will have tribulations. We will not be immune to it, right? But He's also promised that it would not affect us, overcome us. And that as long as we stay anchored to Jesus... As long as we stay anchored to the promises of God, He has overcome the world. Therefore, we are overcomers too. And that's really what this this whole series is about, is the fact that we want you to understand that, you know what? Life does not have to be scary. It just doesn't. And we want to look at a couple different things. And, And today, we're going to look at this, that the fact that, you know what? Here's the title of the message. Money doesn't have to be scary. Now, you might think, oh my gosh, they're talking about money. Uh-oh, watch out, here he goes. No, no, this is just giving you an idea that sometimes we can look at it from a wrong perspective. And what we want to do is be able to look at it from a perspective that that's not necessarily, you know, in alignment, kind of with some people, right, who say, you know what, um, money is not important. No, money, money is important, right? Everybody needs money, don't we? Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, we all need money, right? How else are we going to eat? How else are we going to survive? How else are we going to like, you know, live in our houses and all of that? Everybody needs money. And, And here's the thing. God even talks about money in Scripture, right? Jesus talked about it a lot. He talked about time, talent, and treasure. So get this idea. Money is not evil, In fact, God has a lot of it, right? He loves to give and bless his children extravagantly. He wants to bless us. And that's, again, is throughout Scripture. So, and here's another thing to think about. Money doesn't have God. Money doesn't drive God. Money is not where his affection is. His affection is on you, right? And he recognizes and knows the needs that we have. Every need that you have, he recognizes, he realizes. So the Bible is not against us having money, but it does address kind of this this issue, right? Of where is um, your source of money coming from? Where do you put your main emphasis on where your money comes from and then your relationship to that money? That's kind of what we want to walk down a little bit today, okay? So turn to 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy is our theme verse for today, our main scripture for today. Um, and it's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And it's Paul talking to Timothy. Timothy's leading a church. He, he, they're experiencing some things going on. But this is what Timothy, uh, Paul tell, tells Timothy. He said, Yet true godliness and contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the truth, true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Then he says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So I want to look at verse 10 first, okay? Um, And before we jump into our points today, and I know this is kind of a well-known verse that people um, oftentimes quote or say, but they don't quote it correctly, sometimes, or it's often miskind of understood. And, and, it, and here, 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 here it is. A lot of times, have you ever heard this? Money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that phrase before? Money is the root of all evil. Okay? Well, here's the problem. He doesn't say it that way. Okay? Paul says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Again, money is not evil. Money is neutral, okay? Money is neutral. But our attitudes towards it can be either good or it can be bad, right? So if Christians become greedy and obsessed with money, you know what happens? That makes it an idol in their life. It becomes an idol to the point where their alignment to God becomes compromised, again, like I'm saying, I'm not, I'm not coming against anybody who has money. It's great. God wants you to. But I'm just saying, when it becomes your focus, when it becomes your primary goal in life, and maybe that even separates you or causes you to be out of alignment with God, then there's a problem with it. Jesus said, said this in Matthew 6, 24, and this is in the message version. It says, you can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both, right? See, it kind of goes back to the fact, am I obsessed with making money? Is that my number one goal? Is that my number one purpose in life? Or is it to get things? Is it to build, I, man, if I get this, oh, then I'm gonna feel great about myself. If I buy this, I gotta keep working harder and harder and harder, right? That, that's what he's saying is like, if that becomes your goal, then you're missing the point. Again, you remember, money is neutral. And so money can be good or money can end up being that in someone's life. So if you do give money that place, then in verse 9, Paul warns us. If we we make an idol out of money and that becomes our desire, this is what Paul says. He says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction right? Did you notice? It says that those who long and desire to be rich, to be deliberate towards, or have a willful uh, mind and affection, kind of lead themselves into a pathway that could be very dangerous. Again, I'm not saying you can't be rich, but when that becomes such a focus on your life, then you know you, you are kind of walking in a pathway or a direction that can be very dangerous, like what Paul said. It can lead you into temptation. You could be trapped by all these different things. You know, and it says it could be foolish things, could be like a harmful desires or even lusts that drowned one in ruin and destruction. Think of it this way. When, when they built the Titanic, right? They said the Titanic was one of those things that can't be sunk. Right there's no way it could be sunk. Yet they get it out there, and what sinks it? An iceberg, right? But no way. So sometimes what we have, or we built in, even in in our maybe even our uh, natural um, nature, right? Our sinful nature, maybe. But in, in our natural nature, we think, well, hey, money's not going to corrupt me. Money's not going to change me. Money's not going to do this to me. I, I'm moving, man. God's blessed me so much, and God will, will bless you so much. But what happens is sometimes we don't recognize that there are things out there that can tempt you, that can sink you. Because your eyes are not on him. Your eyes are on the fact, I'm, I'm bringing it all in, look at all this, look at all I got, right? I, I you know, <laughs> I've prayed for people, for finances, things like that, and they, and God blesses them. But then what happens is, they kind of lose sight of God because now whatever it is that they needed fixed for the moment is fixed. So, man, do I really need to come to church? Do I really need to, 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 to be in community with other believers? Because, you know, hey, god, God's god got it going on for me. This is great. This is awesome. And see, that's where it begins to shipwreck our faith. That's where it begins to shipwreck our soul. And that's scary when we start walking that way. Listen to the wisdom of of this guy named Eger, who is the writer of Psalms 30, okay? And this is about, this is his feelings regarding money and riches. This is what he says, and I thought this was so cool. He says this, um, verse 7 through 9. He says, "Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never tell a lie. Now, Agar was a guy who was, who was around the same time as Solomon was. And we know Solomon was super, super wisdom guy, right? He was, he was top notch. But this guy too had a lot of wisdom. But this is what he says in verse eight. First, help me to never tell a lie. And then he says, this. second, give me neither poverty nor riches. You think, okay. He says, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Verse nine, for if I grow rich, I may deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Think about that. If I grow rich, I may deny you because I'm thinking I'm the one that's doing it all. I'm the one that's getting it all because of what I'm doing. He says, I might deny you. And then he says, and if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So we can see that Edgar knew how scary money could be because... Riches and or lack of it can tempt us away from God. And again, a lot of that is because when, when, when God blesses us, oftentimes there's a temptation to think that it's because of, we, because of what we're doing and not because he has done it. And then, uh, too, it could be the point where, man, I, I got to do whatever it takes I might need to lie. I might need to do some things that are just not godly in order to be able to do it. But see, that's where we've got to be able to lean in and press into the Lord and and thank him for his promises that he said that he would take care of us. But the thing is, is that, you know what? We don't want to, I don't want to dishonor God. Anybody want to dishonor God? That's not our heart. We don't want to do that. But see, he was saying that when we're not satisfied with the needs that we have met right now, we're kind of, you know, we'll, 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 we'll lose focus. And we'll dishonor the Lord. Which leads me to, to my first point today. We need to surrender, surrender your life to God completely. Especially when it comes to finances. Especially when it comes to finances. 1 Timothy 6.6 says this. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. So right out of the gate, Paul tells us, godliness with contentment is great wealth or great gain in some of your Bibles. Now, godliness is is something really simple, okay? It's someone who is devoted to God and not just going through the motions, okay? Because there are many that say, oh yeah, God, I love you, it's great. But when you look at their life, you look at what's going on and they are just going through the motions. But see, that's not God's heart for us. He doesn't want us to be people who are just going through the motions because we just need to do that. That, that just needs to happen. No, he wants all of us to be surrendered to him. And so it's someone who seeks to live according to God's will living in a way that is well-pleasing to him, right? And here's the deal, well-pleasing to him, but not well-pleasing to us. Because our natural flesh, our natural way of going sometimes is all about pleasing us. It's all about what we want. It's all about, oh man, I, I just want it my way. And see, the great thing about it then is when we live a life that is devoted to God, right? He is the object of our worship. Paul tells us there's this spiritual gain when it's coupled with contentment, okay? Now, some people may think contentment means just getting uh, everything they want as soon as they want it, right? And that's really kind of the problem of our, our society today. It's like, you know, our culture is all about materialism. It's all about self indulgence. And we've even seen over, over possibly the course of your life, even those who have everything they want and get everything they want, doesn't mean they're happy. Doesn't mean they're content. I want more. I need more. I want more. I want more. I want more. Right? I mean, how many yachts do you need? Yet yeah, people buy lots of yachts or whatever. Or how many cars do you need? Okay? But this is, this is the, uh, the definition to me of what contentment is, okay? Contentment is not having all you want, but wanting only what you have, okay? Wanting only what you have. It's being satisfied with what you have, that is being content, okay? Sure, you can have desires, absolutely. You can have things, oh man, I, man, I really would love this. My, 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 my dream car is a Porsche 911 convertible, okay? That, that's my dream car, Don't ask me why. Well, I do know why, but that's my dream car, okay? Now, I don't sit there every day and just focus on that, okay? If that ever comes, great, but I am content driving my little Kia Soul, stick shift, whatever year old it is, I'm content. Because you know what? It gets me from point A to point B. Plus, the insurance is a lot cheaper, and fixing it is a lot cheaper, right? (laughs) Right? But, but, but do you understand what I'm talking about? There are things in my heart. Yeah, sure. I would love to have it, but I am super content in what I have right now. That, that's being content, right? It's not about my self-sufficiency. It's about Christ's sufficiency. It's about being in him. It's resting in the sufficiency of Christ that he is my provider. He is your provider. That's being content. Right? Okay, so man, yeah, I don't have the Porsche, but I got a car. Right? Oh, I don't get to eat steak tonight? Oh, well, I get to eat, you know, soup or whatever. But, but you, you getting what I'm talking about? Because the heart sometimes tries to twist it and your mind tries to twist it. To see, see, you're not keeping up with the Joneses. You're not keeping up with, well, Joneses just, you know, whatever. But, but you're not keeping up But the fact is, you know what? No, I've got all that I need. God has provided me with all the things that I need. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter four about contentment. Now, think about this. He's sitting in jail when he writes this. And he says, actually, I don't have a sense of need. I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances are. Man, can we say that? That's a challenge to me, okay? It says, I am just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am, right? Right? Because he's relying on Christ's sufficiency, not his own sufficiency. So he's saying, I'm content. I'm in jail. How can you be content in jail? You just can't. Yet he is. Because his life has been, what? Surrendered to God. So godliness is being devoted and living in a way that pleases him. And I was thinking about it too. It kind of lives out Matthew chapter six. I think it'll be on the board. You don't have to turn here if you don't want to, but you've all heard the scripture before. But it's Matthew chapter six, verse 33. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. You know what that is? That's surrender. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Again, that's surrender. Because sometimes that can be tough, right? And He will give you everything you need. I think He knows I don't need a Porsche 911 convertible. I think He does, because I probably don't. But I am sufficient, right? Because I am seeking Him and He has given me what I need to be able to do what I need to do. So, godliness cultivates contentment. The more you surrender to him, the more you get into following him and living a life that pleases him, you begin all of a sudden be content with whatever it is you have because you know it's not based on your sufficiency. It's based on his sufficiency. Now, God gives gifts to people that have an ability to to create incredible wealth or to, to, to have strategies and plans. That's awesome. That's great. Run with it if that's you. But I'm just saying that, you know, we have to get to that point where we begin to understand I am content with whatever I have that is set before me, right? But we have to surrender. We have to call, call, call him our source so that our lives can be enriched, it can be fulfilled, it can be satisfied, it can be content. So we have to start by surrendering our hearts and living our lives to God, which then cultivates this thing where we're not really gripping on a hold of money, or this, this grip that money has on us. And then the second thing we need to do, kind of just goes in line with it, is trust that God is a faithful provider. Trust that God is a faithful provider. Turn, turn to um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Now, this is just something, and I don't know for sure, but I know I'm included in this. I think we all need to kind of upgrade how we think about God meeting our needs. I think we can always use a tune-up. We can always just kind of, you know, take a look at this. But again, here we are in Philippians. Paul is in jail, and this is what he says. And this same God who takes care of me... Now, you remember what he said. I got everything I need. I'm content. He says, and this same God who takes care of me... Will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Right? So, kind of like, okay, well, what does that all mean? Well, let's kind of break it down. I'm not going to give you the Greek words, but I'm going to give you kind of the Greek background of some of these words. Now, the word supply means to make full, to fill completely, and to be filled to the point of satisfaction, overflowing like a container filled or packed to the point where it runs over. I don't know if, if it, you know, if, if you have kids, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when your kid just starts pouring their glass of whatever it is, and they don't know when to stop, right? And it just all of a sudden comes up over and it's all over the place. And, you know, me as a typical parent, what are you doing? Oh my gosh. Um, but, but that's the picture here. That he's trying to say a, a supply, God wants to give us a supply where it actually is running over. It may not, It may not look like the way you want it to look like. Can I just say it that way? But he he is out to supply you as much as you need. Okay? To the point where it's overflowing in your life. Okay, then there's the word all. This one's not really complicated. It's an all-encompassing word. That basically means it leaves nothing out. So whatever needs that we have, God is in a hot pursuit to help fulfill those needs. He's saying every need, no matter what it is, it could be huge and it could be small. Whatever that is, he wants to be able to engage in this. So whatever, need, whatever you need, God intends to meet it. And then it goes on, right? And the word just needs, just means any deficit, that must be met. Any deficit. Think about that. So any deficit that you have, anything that you are going through, anything that you are kind of struggling with, or or maybe it it does seem a little bit scary, you're not sure what's going to happen, anything like that, that's a need, right? And so God says, I want to be there. I want to help supply that need. Whatever that need is, I want, because it's a Listen, a deficit in your life. Again, it might not look like the way you want it to be fulfilled. But God is out to, to, to get rid of these deficits in our life. But, you know, sometimes it's us coming to him. He knows it already. But sometimes we got to come to him and say, hey, I got this deficit in my life. God, would you be able to, to come in and help? Yes, because that's what he what He. What he Brings to us in the scripture, God wants to meet the deficit that you are facing, and then it says He wants to meet it with His riches, and this is this is what the the Greek word kind of describes. Uh, means um, It gives a picture of an abundant, extreme, vast wealth that cannot be calculated. That goes back to the fact that man, God's got every need that you have; He can meet that need because there's a vastness to him. And it can't be calculated how how much he can meet your need. Oftentimes we just got to go to him with that with that need. He just wants to do it because he loves us. This is how one scholar interpret interprets the scripture. So he kind of wrote it out in kind of his own way. It says, "But my God will supply your needs so completely" That he will eliminate all your deficiencies. He will meet all your physical, intangible needs until you are so full that you have no more capacity to hold anything else. He will supply all your needs until you are totally filled, packed full, and overflowing to the point of bursting at the seams and spilling over. That's awesome, isn't it? When you hear that, that that's what God wants to do in our life, but but here's the thing, because I, I I've so often quoted that scripture and looked at it, but you know what I thought? Hey, you know what? What's the context of it? Where? How does this tie in? Right? And so we're gonna, so Paul Paul is writing this response to the Philippian believers in light of their offering and generosity and their giving to him. It wasn't just something that just came to Paul. This, Boom. I was just write it down in the Bible. Just make sure it's down in the Bible. No, he was talking about the fact that here, the Philippian believers, right, had given this offering, this, their generosity of giving to him and to the gospel. And so here he writes this because he's saying, hey, when you also live a generous life, when you also live a life that gives into the kingdom of God, that sows into the kingdom of God, God, God sees that. See, to give is an act of trust, isn't it? Because sometimes, you know, God might put on your heart, hey, just for an example, hey, I want you to give that person $5 today. And You're like, $5, that's nothing, right? That, that's really nothing. Why would that person need $5? But you listen and you obey. That person gets it. And then that might be the greatest answer to prayer. That, that man just just raised their faith level up. Here you are thinking, this is nothing. But to God, it's everything because he wants to meet the needs of his children. He wants to meet our needs, right? So it's this act of trust, this act of faith that you are displaying. Right? And it's really showing that, hey, God, you're my source, right? Not anything else. Even when things are tight for me, God, you're my source. I'm going to believe that you're going to take care of me, right? And as soon as you do that, God sees you and will go out of his way to make sure that your own needs are met. I've experienced this over my lifetime. There have been times I have given money or I have sewed something to someone, um, or you know, like given, hey, I've got these really whatever it is, and I, I want to, I feel like God wants me to bless you with it. And the person receives it and go, oh, thanks, man, I've been, whatever. And then you know what happens? God ends up bringing more to my table. But see, that's if, if I held tight to it, if it was all about, no, I can't give that up, I can't, I can't be generous then you know what? I lose out on what God wants to do in my life. Whatever, whatever that may be, whatever he may say. But see, as soon as I let it go, as soon as I become generous in a way that says, God, I trust you, I, it doesn't matter what, what they do with that money, it doesn't matter what they do with what I give them, it doesn't matter what that is, then God goes into action to meet my needs as well. He'll go into action to meet your needs needs as well, right? It's that law of sowing and reaping, right? Whatever you sow, you shall reap, right? Farmers get it. You plant corn, what are you going to reap? Corn, right? And so we have to be able to look at it and say, God, you are always faithful to your promises, and you're always faithful to your word, no matter what. So if this is something in my life where money's got such a hold on me and now you're saying you want me to give some or, or bless someone or do something with it, then you know what? It's not going to hold, have a grip on my life. I'm going to give it away in generosity and believe that you'll take care of the rest. And see, I think God gets this big old smile on his face. Look at my kid. Look, they're trusting me. They're not holding a grip on their money, they're, they're like saying, God, I trust you. I thank you that you're going to come through for me. So we've got to surrender and then we've got to trust that God will provide. And the last thing is then, you know what? Money doesn't have to be scary because we can embrace God's plan for money. God has a plan for money, right? And he wants each of us to understand what that is. Now, there's five things I'm going to say. Okay, I'm not going to teach on them. I'm just going to kind of give you a scripture and a little thing on it. But these are just five plans, right, that God has for our money. And so the very first one is to embrace tithing. To embrace tithing. Tithing is where it starts first. It's honoring God with the first 10% of all that he gives you. Right? I mean, after all, the Bible says he's the one that gives us the power to get wealth. So we honor God by bringing our first fruits, right, of increase to him. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns. Notice there's, there's a reciprocal thing here. You do this, God promises he'll do this. He says, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Okay, I'm gonna say grape juice, right? We wanna keep it, you know, holy, just kidding. Okay, right? And then you all know, you know, Malachi chapter three, verse 10, you know, God said, hey, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, test me now, um, you know, and see not that I won't provide for you, I won't protect you, I won't do all of that. There's that scripture as well. And then not only that, then some people will argue, well, you know, tithing is only in the, in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. But check out what Jesus says here in Matthew 23, 23. He's telling the Pharisees this. He says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of, of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. So basically what he was saying is, yeah, you guys are tithing. You're keeping to the Mosaic law, or I mean, you're keeping to the, to, to, to the law, you know, and you're, and you're even given the tiniest amount possible, okay? But you keep ignoring the, the, these aspects, right, of the law, which is justice, mercy, and faith. But then this is what he says. He says, you should tithe, yes. Who said that? Jesus. He said, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, okay? So he's saying, you know what, that mercy, that justice, that, 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 that faith is are very important things. But see, he did not say, oh yeah, you don't have to worry about the tithe. He said, yeah, you should do it. So along that line, too, so we're not just a tithe, but then also we are supposed to um, embrace generosity. Kind of talk, touched a little bit about that. Meaning, basically this, we are to live open-handed, allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, to use our life to be a blessing to others because that's part of the, that's part of being community in church. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 through 8 says. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Okay, I'm I'm just going to make this statement. Never feel pressure to give in this church. God's our source, okay? Never feel pressure. If you ever feel pressure, please come talk to me because that is not the heart of this church, okay? he says, do not give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, right? He says, and God, listen, Again, it's reciprocal. He says, and God will generously provide all you need. After you are giving generously, cheerfully, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Again, generosity. A pastor in Las Vegas, Javen Chavez, says this, I am not working for a living, I'm working for a giving. I'm not working for a living. You know, that was what a Huey Lewis and the New song, wasn't it? Right? I'm working for a living. I don't know, it goes. <laughs> but he said, I am not working for a living. I'm working for a giving. Wow, what a concept if we got that mentality. I'm working for a- so I can give. I can sow. I can generously give to those who maybe need it or however the Holy Spirit leads me. The next is embrace. Everyone ready for this? Hard work. Right? We got to embrace hard work. God blesses hard work. Okay? This is what he says in Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4. This is in the amplified version. It says, "Poor is he who works with uh, I'm sorry. Poor is he who works with a uh, negligent and idle hand." That means you're lazy. Right? Basically. But it says this, "But the hand of the diligent Makes him rich doesn't mean he's got a humongous wealth, but the fact is, man, you just got to go to work, right? I mean, it just doesn't fall out of the sky. It would be great if it did. Sometimes we used to joke with our kids, "Hey, we don't have a money tree in the backyard. You can just go pluck some cash off of." Right? You've got to go to work. You've got to you know begin to to do the things necessary, and it says when we go to work and we begin to live also in generosity, then you know what? God provides everything that we need, and then we are to embrace stewardship, okay? Which is basically, it's utilizing and managing all of the resources God provides for you. How, how, How am I stewarding my money? How am I stewarding even, you know, my gifts, maybe, or the things that God has blessed me with, God has given to me, he's, he's allowed me to do. How am I managing those things? Am I stewarding them well, or am I hiding them under a bushel? Am I just keeping them hidden? Because I don't want anybody to know. But see, the fact is, is God knows, and God wants to put you right in a position so that you can live in generosity and steward that gift that you have. And you might think, well, man, I don't have anything really, really, you know, big in my arsenal, Pastor Scott, to be able to give or to to steward what, you know, it doesn't matter. It could be something small. You know, I think one of the things I I love the fact is the fact that God's given me two legs and two hands. And those two legs and two hands, that's something I can steward. And a brain, although my wife would probably argue, you know, she's not here. Well, I'm like the scarecrow. Um, but, but I, I need to steward what my hands do, what my legs do, what I can do. And whatever that gifting or calling is, in my I need to be able to steward that. And so he's very interested in the way you steward things. He's interested in the way you steward your money as well. This is what Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 11 says. If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large ones. What a principle, man! If I will be faithful in the tiny things, the littlest of things, then he says, "You know what? I see you. You will be faithful if I give you more. But if you are not, but if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with uh, with great greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, okay, who? Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Man, that, that hits, right? Because all these little things that we think maybe is not a big deal that God's put on our heart to do, maybe they have to do with finances. Maybe they have to do with money. He, he can't release those, the riches of his, his goodness into your life if you're unwilling to let go of it. So we've got to trust him, and lastly, we need to embrace kingdom-minded living to follow God's plan for money. Matthew six nineteen through twenty one says this: "Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moss eats them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal." You remember uh, our 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 what what uh um, Paul told Timothy. He said, you came into this world with nothing. You're going to leave this world with nothing, right? And then this says, hey, don't store it up on earth. But see, we, our, 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 our flesh says, no, we got to store it. 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 We got to store, store it. But he's saying, don't do that. He says, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. So we should be using what God has given us in such a way that we are ministry-minded, kingdom-minded, seeking to build God's house and advance his kingdom however the Holy Spirit guides us. Okay? However the Holy Spirit guides us, that's key. Because someone, and hopefully never, ever, ever, someone can get up and say, You need to give to this. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do... No, 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 no. That's that's missing the whole concept of kingdom life. Our dad owns everything, right? The Bible says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Can you imagine how many cattle that is? Like, and sometimes you're like, hey, can you sell some cattle? Bring it on down here. But, But the deal is, is that you should be led by what God puts on your heart to do. It should be never motivated by man. It should always be motivated by the heart of Jesus, by the heart of the Holy Spirit, by the heart of the Father. See, when we do that, then we become kingdom-minded people. Because guess what? God is about his kingdom. He really is. He is about his kingdom. And yes, Though his kingdom is not fully here yet, we still live in a place that can bring his kingdom to earth. Right? Why would Jesus even pray that prayer? Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on what? Earth as it is in heaven. Why would he even pray that prayer if that's not true? And so that's, that's kind of where we've got to get with it. So money just doesn't have to be a scary topic, especially when it comes to church. It was always funny. My wife, her, they grew up Lutheran. Her, whenever her mom and dad seemed to come to the church that I grew up in California when me and Heather were dating, we both went to the same church. The pastor always talked about money. <laughs> it was always like, oh, no. I, but but the fact is, is, we've got to talk about money. Because, you know what? Money also keeps the kingdom of God moving. right? It, it, it helps missionaries. It helps people go out and, and, and tell people about the gospel of Jesus. So money, money is vital. But again, remember, money is neutral. It's about what you do with it. It's about whether you treat it for the kingdom of God or you treat it for the kingdom of yourself. That's the whole premise that we're trying to get across. Money does not have to be scary. And we just, all we're asking, or just think about, don't let it grip your heart to the point where, man, that's all you're driven by. But but instead, what you're doing is you're looking at it and saying, man, I am working to be a blessing to someone. I am working to... In a way, God's going to meet all my needs. God's going to take care of whatever that is. As I live out a a generous life and let it flow out of me, God's going to come right beside me and supply every possible need that I have. I don't know how I'll do it. I mean, if I knew how he would do it, man, I'd be, right, awesome. But I don't know how I'll do it. But I know, I know, I know his word is true. And so he'll do it. But we just got to align our hearts and be be walking kingdom-minded. We got to be walking, you know, generously. We've got to be giving unto the Lord. It's all wrapped up in that. And so do do me a favor, bow your heads. Let me wrap us up today. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. And I am so grateful for the Holy Spirit's presence in this house. You know how to speak to us, Holy Spirit. You know how to lead us. You know how to guide us. You know how to direct us. So wherever we land on this topic, wherever maybe we've got maybe some things that are, are consciously conscious decisions that we made that have been wrong, or maybe even subconscious things that we've we've kind of just didn't even realize we were doing, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are full of grace, you are full of love, you are full of mercy, and that you will lead us, you will direct us out of those places so that things don't have a grip on our heart, but we, we live in a way that is fully surrendered to you, trusting that you will provide everything that we need, and that we'll live with a plan, a live with your plan, your strategy of what you want us to be able to do with money that you give to us. And so we thank you for for really providing whatever needs anybody has here. I thank you, Lord, that there is no deficit in their life because of who you are. And I pray blessings upon them as they leave this week. I thank you that, that your hand will be there. Lord, I thank you that they will see even supernatural things take place. In their life, because Lord, you love them so dearly and so deeply. And so we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.